Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Welcome back to the Forge podcast. So glad you're with me. I was hoping that I'd be done with the book of Genesis by the end of 2021, but it does not look like that's going to happen. I do believe, however, that we will complete the book of Genesis by the time this podcast has been going for one full year. My very first episode dropped on March 6, 2021. I really did not know what I was doing at all, but I got started and I put quite a few episodes out in a very short period of time because there was an urgency. I wanted to get it out. I wanted to get it started and I really wanted to get it done. But then as we got into the book of Genesis, I began to slow down just a little bit. There's so much here and I feel that the book of Genesis is foundational I upgraded some equipment, and if you go back and listen, you can hopefully tell there's a difference in production quality. So, point is, if we complete our Genesis study by March 2022, then we will have covered three books of the Bible, three whole books of the Bible in one year. And at that rate, it will take us 22 years to cover the entire Bible. So... (laughs) I might have to do something here to pick up the pace just a little bit. And you know, I'm not really doing these books in any particular order. 
So if there's a book that you'd like to go through, feel free to let me know through the link. You can actually leave me a voicemail uh, through the link on Spotify. So with that said, let's pause now for the reading of God's word, beginning in Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. And as we prepare our hearts and minds to hear the words of the living God, I would remind you that I have rehearsed the pronunciation of these names. Sometimes I get them better than others. In any event, follow along with me and make your best pronunciation. Many versions of the Bible have pronunciation markers to help you sound out the name by a syllable so you can uh, do the best you can with that. There are also narrations that you can find on the internet and through other Bible software programs. I would just add a little bit of caution there. Sometimes they don't get it exactly right either. So these are English renderings of foreign names, ancient names. So I will do my best. You bear with me and you read along. Now let's pause for the word of God. Genesis 36 verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Adah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Aholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Basimath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. Now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basimath bore Ruel, and Aholibama bore Jaush, Jaalam, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all his animals, and all his goods which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom, and this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, and Ruel, the son of Basimath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatim, and Kenaz. Now, Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These were the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shema, and Mizah. These were the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These were the sons of Aholibema, Esau's wife, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zebion. And she bore to Esau Jaush, Jaalam, and Korah. 
These were the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, were chief Teman, chief Omar, chief Zepho, chief Kenaz, chief Korah, chief Gatim, and chief Amalek. These were the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. They were the sons of Ada. These were the sons of Ruel, Esau's son, chief Nahath, chief Zerah, chief Shammah, and chief Mizah. These were the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These were the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. And these were the sons of Aholibema, Esau's wife, chief Jaesh, chief Jaalam, and chief Korah. These were the chiefs who descended from Aholibema, Esau's wife, the daughter of Anah. These were the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these were their chiefs. These were the sons of Seir, the Horite, who inhabited the land, Lotang, Shobal, Zebion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These were the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir, in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori, Hemem, Lotan's sister was Timnah. These were the sons of Shobal, Alvin, Manahath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onem. These were the sons of Zibion, both Aja and Anna. This was the Anna who found the water in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of his father, Zibion. These were the children of Anna, Dishon and Aholabama, the daughter of Anna. These were the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Chiran. These were the sons of Ezar, Bilhan, Zaavan, and Achan. These were the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These were the chiefs of the Horites, Chief Lotan, Chief Shobal, Chief Zibion, Chief Anna, Chief Dishon, Chief Ezar, and Chief Dishan. These were the chiefs of the Horites according to the chiefs of the land of Seir. Now these were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of the city was Dinhabah. And when Bela died, Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his place. When Jobab died, Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. And when Husham died, Hadad, the son of Bedad, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his place. And the name of his city was Avith. When Hadad died, Shemlah of Masrika reigned in his place. And when Shemlah died, Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his place. When Saul died, Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. And when Baal Hanan, 
the son of Akbor died, Hadar reigned in his place, and the name of his city was Paul. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Meshab. These were the names of the chiefs of Esau according to their families and their places by their names. Chief Timnah, Chief Alva, Chief Jetheth, Chief Aholebema, Chief Elah, Chief Pinon, Chief Kenaz, Chief Timon, Chief Mibzar, Chief Magdael, and Chief Iram. And these were the chiefs of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Esau was the father of the Edomites. Now, some might think that since Genesis is the first book in the Bible, it is therefore the oldest. However, you might be surprised to learn that the book of Job is actually believed to be the oldest book. And in the book of Job, we read that Job had a comforter named Eliphaz the Temanite. Well, we just read in verse 11 that someone named Eliphaz gets mentioned. Could this be the same Eliphaz the Temanite from the book of Job? While there really is not any proof, I believe it to be so, especially when we consider that Eliphaz had a son named Taman. And then in verse 33, there's an individual named Jobab. Is this Job of the book of Job, where the word or the name Job is just a shortened version of the full name Jobab? Again, the Bible doesn't say so, but it's been a while since we've had one of these, so I'm going to give you a J-O, if you will allow it. And according to J-O, or James' opinion, yes, the answer is yes. This Jobab is the same Job. Now, if I am correct with my J-O, and these are all the same people, then why is it relevant? And why would I bring it up? We're in the book of Genesis and I'm talking about the book of Job. Well, for one thing, if I'm correct, this gives us a possible time frame for the story of Job. And for another, it shows us yet again that there is a harmony and there is an internal consistency throughout the Bible. How many other books of the Bible have we crossed reference while we were studying the book of Genesis. I don't really know. I did not keep count, but I know it's been a few. And here is yet another reference. So also we'll see in verse 12 here that there's the mention of a son named Amalek, who was born to Eliphaz the, um, through Timnah, the concubine. So the Amalekites were a people group or a nation, if you will, of the Negev. And these were the first people that Israel encountered, and they fought them when Israel left Egypt. And for those of you who know the story, Israel, Israel was captive. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt. They wandered for 40 years, 
and then they entered into the promised land and the first people that they come in contact with are the Amalekites. These are the descendants of Amalek. And you can read about this in Exodus chapter 17 and in chapter 18. And I'm not going to read the whole account there from Exodus in this episode. We will get to that one day whenever we study the book of Exodus. But I encourage you to go look it up for yourself. And what you will find there is the story of how Israel prevailed over the armies of Amalek. In Exodus 17, verse 14, the Lord actually promises Moses that he will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And this is a promise of God. It is a prophecy from God about future events. And if you move ahead in time, you go to the book of Esther, read chapter 3, and you will find that God makes good on his promise there. The nation of Amalek, the Amalekites, they no longer exist. So God has indeed wiped them out. So this episode takes us into a very brief history of Edom. So while these first few facts that I've led off with, these interesting verses, these other cross-references, they are interesting what really is being focused on here, as we've just read, is the history of Edom. We're told four different times in this chapter that Esau is either Edom or he is the father of the Edomites. And you can find this for yourself in verse 1, verse 8, verse 19, and in verse 43. Not only is Esau the father of this particular people group, but the derivative of that name, Edom, means red. I'm going to say that a few times in this episode. But you may recall from an earlier episode, we've talked about how Edom means red. So we see here in the scripture, the family line of Edom is being drawn out for a little bit. But as we've noticed before with other lines, um, while these lines are followed for some time and they had some interesting and historical information, they're not followed for very long because the family line does not lead to the Messiah, the Savior. And this family relationship here does bear some importance because of their proximity to Israel, uh, both here in Genesis and in future events. So as the great R.C. Sproul states, and you've heard me quote R.C. before, he says this list shows the transition of Esau's descendants from a family to a tribal structure. And we can also note that from verses 20 through verses uh, 30, um, there's from verse 20 to verse 30, that's what I'm trying to say, that the original inhabitants of Mount Sierra were not Edomites, but there were other people groups there and they were eventually destroyed or intermarried into the descendants of Esau. And you could see this later confirmed in Deuteronomy chapter two. So as we've stated already, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And just in case you need a little review on the family tree, once again, Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac, 
and Esau had a twin brother named Jacob. And we've covered up to this point how that when these two twin brothers were in the womb, Esau and Jacob struggled with each other. And remember also that God told their mother, Rebekah, that she had two nations fighting within her. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 25, you can read about it in verse 23. And you will also read that God stated that the younger one, Jacob, would rule over the older one, that the older one would actually be the servant to the younger. And this is completely contrary to the way things were done at this time in human history. So we've also talked about how Esau rashly sold his inheritance to Jacob for a bowl of red soup. So we've also covered in the previous chapter how God changed Jacob's name to Israel, making Jacob the father of the Israelites. And as we've seen here, Esau has experienced somewhat of a name change. He became the father of the Edomites. And it's interesting that the land south of the Dead Sea is filled with red sandstone. And as the story of Esau's trading of his birthright for red stew became known, he eventually becomes known as Edom. And as I've already stated, just in case you forgot, Edom means red. So here we see that God has renamed Jacob Israel. And it appears that in contrast, Esau gets renamed by others, or at least he gets renamed because of his circumstances. And you can look this up on your own, and I encourage you to do so. There's all kinds of Bible study aids. There's maps with cross-references. But you can find in Joshua chapter 24, verse 4, that Sierra is mentioned. Isaiah 63.1 mentions Bozrah. And 2 Kings 14.7 mentions Selah. These same places are found first here in the book of Genesis. And these places are all located in the country of Edom. So history shows us that these two nations, Israel and Edom, continued to struggle. And we obviously haven't covered it yet because it's at some point future to where we are in our study. But as an example of the confrontational and really violent relationship that we see between these two nations, Israel, when they were set free from their bondage in Egypt, they requested uh, permission to use an ancient trade route known as the King's Highway. You can read about this in Numbers chapter 20, verse 17. And this route passes through Edom. And so the Israelites were leaving Egypt and Edom refused to let Israel pass. And even with this terrible treatment of Israel in their time of need, God forbids Israel to hate the Edomites in Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. He says, and of course I am paraphrasing, even though Edom did this to you, Israel, 
you are not to hate them. So that said, Israel and Edom fought a lot. Edom attacked Israel, but Israel also attacked Edom. King Saul of Israel attacked Edom. King David subjugated the Edomites. He basically took Edom as a territory of Israel. uh, And it gave Israel access to a port that King David's son, King Solomon, would use. Uh, the port of Ezion Geber on the Red Sea. And so what we have seen here in Genesis chapter 36 is, like I said at the very beginning, a brief, and I would also add an early history of the Edomites. Notice, too, that the Edomites had a king reigning over them at this time, long before Israel had a king, according to verse 31. And this is significant because God was to be Israel's king. The idea of having an earthly king over the nation, it goes hand in hand with the religions of the other pagan societies that were around Israel at this time. They worshipped fertility gods And indeed, in many cultures, they worshiped their kings. And God was saying to Israel, you will not have a human king like the other nations, like those Gentiles. I will be your king. So while we see this list of chiefs coming out of the line of Esau, we must note that Edom no longer has a king anywhere. There is no nation of Edom, just like there is no nation of the Amalekites anywhere today. So historically, it may have appeared at the very beginning that Edom would be maintaining dominance because they were reigning first. They had kings. But in time, God's promise to the younger brother is actually what gets fulfilled. We should note that uh, God did grant favor to Esau for the sake of his father Isaac and for the sake of his grandfather Abraham. You see, God's promise to Abraham is partially fulfilled in the life of Esau because God promised that kings and nations would come out of this line. But Esau and his descendants were not the chosen of God. So what can we understand from this? Well, one thing that we can get from this is we can be reminded that as Christians, we have been adopted and we have inherited God's grace. And if God was willing to prosper Edom, for the sake of his promise to their common father, Abraham, how much more so will he prosper and bless his chosen? I would say even more so. So as we move forward in time, again, this is a little bit of a history lesson, but moving forward in time, we have what are called the Maccabean Wars. And this is where the Edomites once again They are now placed under the yoke of the Jews. 
And the Greek word for Edomite is Edimian. And this is significant because within the Roman Empire, the Edimian, there was a particular Edimian whose father was converted to Judaism and he was named King of Judah or Judea. And that Edimian is known in history as King Herod the Great. He was the tyrant who ordered a massacre in Bethlehem in an attempt to kill the Christ child, according to Matthew chapter 2. And we talked about it a little bit in the last episode. And all of this was prophesied by the mouth of Jeremiah. You may remember we talked about Rachel's weeping and the location of the tribe of Benjamin and the little town of Bethlehem. We talked about during... Uh, talked about all that during the last episode. I encourage you to go back and listen if you need a review of that. What I want to do here in this episode is go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read you the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So they quote an Old Testament prophecy. Here it is, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Pause. I would just like to interject here. There is a DVD, a documentary, if you can find it still. I'm sure you can, possibly on the internet, maybe on Amazon. It's called The Bethlehem Star. A, an astronomer did, really an amateur astronomer, began to do some research because he was puzzled by this star. And through the use of computer models and a telescope and examining the sky looking at dates and times, he came up with some amazing things that were happening happening in the sky around the time that Christ was born. It is amazing what he found. I suggest that you uh, examine the, the DVD, The Bethlehem Star. But we see here that King Herod, of course, he wants to keep his own throne He is interested in finding this child, not so he can worship him. He intends to make sure that no one gets the throne. 
And here these wise men have shown up saying, there is a king who has been born king of the Jews. Well, you're telling the sitting king this. Do you think he's just going to let go of his throne? No. So, continuing on with verse 9, it says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way. Again, I would pause here just simply to say, we all seen the nativity scene where the three wise men are bowing down in the manger with the little baby Jesus. And while I do believe he was certainly young, they were not there at the birth. It's a common misconception. We know here that they were in a house. Um, this would imply they were not in a manger at this point. And we're going to read some other things here in the same chapter. They're going to let us know that it took some time for the wise men to make the journey. And when they got there, Jesus was no longer just an infant. He was a young child. So moving on says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Here's another prophecy, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So here's yet another prophecy that Matthew points out to us. And here again we see there was a reason for Herod to go after children two years of age and younger. It's because he was able to determine the time from the wise men and he was not looking for an infant, but perhaps for even a toddler at this point. So verse 19, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Yet another prophecy being fulfilled 
by Jesus Christ. And so we have the last mention of an Edomite king amid these prophecies quoted by Matthew concerning the Christ. Interestingly, this happens as the king of Israel, the true king of kings, is born in human flesh. God foretold through the mouth of another prophet in Ezekiel 35 that Edom would ultimately be destroyed. And history shows that after Herod's death, the Edomian people slowly disappeared. Where are they now? We could certainly ask. There's no nation today known as Edom, is there? So in Ezekiel 35, verse 15, God states to Edom, he's talking to Edom through his prophet, and this is what he says, As you rejoiced because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So we see here that despite Edom's constant efforts to rule over the Jews, God's prophecy to Rebekah was fulfilled. The older child served the younger. And Israel ultimately proved stronger than Edom. And when Herod tried to kill King Jesus, he could not. You know, the true king of the Jews still lives to this day. One of the things that I strive for in this podcast is I want to demonstrate from Scripture that it is internally consistent. I have emphasize repeatedly that if Genesis cannot be trusted, then none of what we claim to believe as Christians can be trusted. And I hope that through the multiple references to other passages, not only in this particular episode, but in all the others, that you can see this in some way and even prove it for yourself. Because my opinion doesn't matter. What the question is, is this truth? Has God spoken? Is there an internal consistency within the book that is intricately woven together such that no human could have done this? Those are the questions concerning the Bible. And I would remind you that it is divinely revealed. What do I mean by that? I mean the Holy Spirit of the living God speaks to the heart of the dead sinner, brings them to life. And when they read the words of the living God, their eyes, their ears are illuminated and they see and they understand. The one who is dead reads the Bible, reads the same words that you read, and they see nothing. So I hope this is an encouragement for you, dear Christian. 
I'm going to bring this particular episode to a close, but I'm doing so here in the Christmas season. And I think it's fitting to contemplate what we have been studying here and how it relates to the gospel of Jesus. You see, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, he took on human form. God himself came to our level, just as you as an adult may have to get down on your hands and knees to talk with a toddler. He came down to our level. He walked and he talked among humanity using words that we could understand and in all ways that we are tempted. So he was tempted, but he didn't fail like you. And like I have done on trumped up charges at a kangaroo court, he was tried, he was convicted, and he was executed. But it was not the nails of a Roman government under the influence of a Jewish ruling class that held him to that tree. It was my sin. And it was the sin of all of his elect that held him there. He voluntarily took our place and submitted to the will of the Father. You see, friends, the penalty for breaking God's law is death. And Christ substituted for his people. He took the death and the full cup of wrath of a just God so that we might live. But the story is not over there. This king defeated death itself, and after being buried for three days, he arose from the dead, and Jesus then ascended back to his Father, where he now reigns at God's right hand, and he intercedes for me. Indeed, he intercedes for all his people. And then God sent his Holy Spirit to now live permanently in the hearts of all those who receive him. Is he interceding for you, dear listener? You see, Christmas is not about what we have turned it into, especially here in the West. Christmas is not about the Grinch and Santa Claus and material things and money and gifts and presents and Christmas trees and lights and snow and all the rest. That's not what it's about. It's about the Savior coming into his own creation to redeem his people from their sins. So, dear listener, is he calling you to repentance? Do you hear the Holy Spirit even now calling you? Would you dare to examine yourself before the law of God? Do you realize that you've been found guilty of crimes and of sins, which you could never make right. Throw yourself at the mercy of Christ. Come to him in brokenness today. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen.
again for listening to the Forge podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out not only in you but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged. Encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in Him. <laughs>